Hello, I'm Andrew and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 6th of December 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Recording for you this week, we have myself, Andrew, Nathan, Angela, Ian, Christine, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course, not forgetting, flashback, Roger. In this week's edition, we hear about the Santa run in the latest update from Beacon. We have the quiz with Mina. From AI Fridges to Historic Bridges, we have the latest local news for the Black Country, all the latest football news from Wolves and West Brom, a Did You Know section from Flashback Roger, a wet and thankful milder weather forecast for the week ahead, and here's one for you, Why Does Bread Hate Summers? Because the weather gets too toasty! Don't worry, the next one will be butter. Oh, I must spread that about. Ho, 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 ho. On which note, we have another fabulous bake-along session. Local news to start with, though, with Ian, Christine, but first, Angela. Dudley Bus Station will be demolished early next year, so building work can begin on a new £24 million transport interchange. The out-of-date bus station will be replaced with a new interchange offering a modern accessible environment and seamless connections between bus and metro services. It comes after Dudley Council dropped a public inquiry into the compulsory purchase of land on Fisher Street in the town centre, which would enable the local authority to bulldoze a branch of farm foods in order to build the new interchange. However, the council confirmed the inquiry was dropped after every objection to the scheme was removed through negotiation. As part of the Wensbury to Brawley Hill Metro extension, Transport for West Midlands hopes the interchange will better connect the people of Dudley to leisure and job opportunities across the region, as well as providing a modern gateway to the town for visitors. Set to open in 2025, the interchange is one in a series of major regeneration projects which are transforming Dudley Town Centre, including the Portersfield development. The project is being led by Transport for West Midlands, which is part of the West Midlands Combined Authority, in partnership with Dudley Council. Councillor Patrick Harley, leader of Dudley Council, said, We are making great progress in Dudley Town Centre. With the upcoming demolition of the old bus station, people can see that the skyline of the town centre is changing once again and we are making good on our word to regenerate the town and create a place where people want to live, work or visit. The interchange will be a hub for transport in the town and will make it easier for people travelling by bus and tram. It will be a very proud moment for me when the new interchange opens. Demolition of the 1986-built bus station means there will be a raft of road changes with temporary traffic orders on Tower Street, Ednam Road, New Street, Priory Road, the Broadway and others, as well as bus stops being temporarily relocated from the bus station to Tower Street and Ednam Road. 
the Transport for West Midlands and bus operators are scheduled to publish more details in the weeks leading up to the closure. So please do listen out for further information in forthcoming editions of the Black Country Talking News. Small devices that block unwanted phone calls have made a huge difference to vulnerable people in the region at risk of scams. One installation of a call blocker has been life-changing for a resident who was previously plagued by dozens of cold calls each week, a Staffordshire Trading Standards boss revealed. And the devices, which are smaller than many landline phones, have also prevented elderly and vulnerable people falling victim to fraudsters attempting to trick them out of money, county councillors have been told. Staffordshire Trading Standards has been providing call blockers for residents as part of its ongoing work to tackle scams. Trish Caldwell, the County Commissioner for Regulatory Services and Community Safety, said, Scams come in many forms, including uninvited contact by email, letter, phone or at the door, all with the aim of conning victims out of money. The effects aren't just financial loss, but they affect health, family, loss of confidence and it increases anxiety. Fraudsters share information on potential victims and one in four victims of bogus officials are likely to have been a previous victim of rogue traders. Once scammed, names get passed on for further scamming. You can be part of what is known as a suckers list. Call blockers are a way of safeguarding vulnerable people against telephone scams and this is something trading standards are very active in. The devices block recorded telephone messages, any silent calls and also any numbers that are not pre-identified by the resident or their family and programmed in. We urge more people with elderly and vulnerable family members to consider this because it gives a good protection. The research shows that once installed, these devices can effectively block up to 95% of nuisance and scam calls. Vulnerable people at risk of such calls are referred to us by voluntary agencies, GPs and social care teams. They get referred to us for a device which we will loan out free of charge to the most vulnerable in Staffordshire, but residents can also buy them for themselves. You can find out more information on call blockers, including whether you are able to apply for a free device for a vulnerable person by contacting your local authority. Plans for a new police headquarters in the Black Country, providing a base for 422 staff and officers, have been given the go-ahead. Carl Meller, Head of Planning at Dudley Council, has approved the conversion of Castlegate House on the edge of Dudley Town Centre into a super police station, serving the whole of the borough. It will be the first time there has been a police station in Dudley Town Centre since the station in New Street closed in 2017. The new base will replace Briley Hill Police Station which is due to close by the end of next year. A report by Planning Officer Richard Stevenson said a total of 422 staff and officers would be based in the building off Castlegate Island with up to two-thirds on duty at any one time. The new station will include a front desk open to the public, meeting rooms for officers and an interview room, but there will be no cells for prisoners. Mr. Meller ruled that the lack of custody cells meant the plans could be fast-tracked as a lawful development without having to go through the full planning process as the building would still be for predominantly office use. Mr. Stevenson said that in a previous case in London, the presence of the front counter had been deemed to represent a change of use. However, he said in this case, the size of the building, which would be predominantly used for administrative purposes, meant that it could still be classified as an office building. West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner Simon Foster announced last month the proposals to move Dudley's police base from Briley Hill to Castlegate House. At the moment, the building is home to a classic car insurance broker. 
Footman James, which has a lease on the building until November 2024. Briley Hill's neighbourhood policing team will remain in the town though, with a new base in the area being sought. Dudley North MP Marco Longhi, who pledged to campaign for a new police station when he was elected in 2019, welcomed the development. He said the lack of a visible police presence in the town was something that was regularly brought up at his advice surgeries. The new station will mean faster response rates and a greater police presence to tackle the issues we are seeing, particularly in the town centre and on the high street, he said. Up next, we hear from Helen, who, as usual, has our latest Beacon update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon back with your weekly update of everything that's been happening and what a week it's been. A record number of Santas have taken part in our festive fundraiser this week. We welcomed well over 200 runners to West Park in Wolverhampton for our annual Santa run on Sunday, December the 3rd. The festive fun was started by the Mayor of Wolverhampton, Councillor Dr Michael Hardacre, and adults who took part received their own Santa suit and medal as a thank you for supporting the charity. Youngsters got a Santa hat and doggy participants received a bespoke wooden medal. Beacon Centre Income Generation Director Stella Pitt said she'd like to thank everyone who turns out to help us kickstart Christmas and that it was a festive morning to remember. She added that she'd like to say a special thank you to all those who asked their friends and family to sponsor them to take part, as we so appreciate everyone's support. The Santa Run is one of several fundraisers held by our charity to support our work over the festive season. Our annual Forget-Me-Not service will take place at our Sedgley Centre on Thursday, December 7th. If you'd like to find out more, call us on 01902 or email supportus at beaconvision.org. Now, while we're on the subject of Christmas, do you want to make it a December to remember with Beacon? Our community activity programme is packed full of festive fun this month, from a karaoke night with our VIP group to a circuit class to get you fighting fit for the big day. Find out more on our website, www.beaconvision.org or give us a call 01902 Now last this week, we'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who voted for our photograph in the Community Transport Association Photo of the Year competition. We made the final four with our wonderful image that captured a trip to the Black Country Living Museum. We so appreciate all your votes. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot for that update, Helen. Up next, we have another block of local news. The City of Wolverhampton Council leader has welcomed the announcement that Wolverhampton is to receive up to £20 million to help deliver Phase 1 of its ambitious Green Innovation Corridor. The provisional levelling up Round 3 award comes ahead of the government's autumn statement and recognises the calibre of the bid initially put forward by the Council for Round 2 funding. The aim of the Green Innovation Corridor is to build on Wolverhampton's growth as a centre for sustainable construction and create skilled jobs for local people in the emerging green economy. It will focus on creating high-value jobs in specialist sectors, support student retention, harness homegrown talent, develop new opportunities for business investment and growth and leverage private sector funding. The initial phases for the Green Innovation Corridor will focus on the Springfield Innovation Hub to be developed net carbon zero and based at the University of Wolverhampton's £120 million Springfield site. An architecture and built environment super campus acting as the city's epicentre for the National Centre for Sustainable Construction. Future phases include Six Mile Green at Wolverhampton Science Park and Cross Street North. The long-term vision is to connect key city assets at the Springfield campus with Wolverhampton Science Park 
and link the city centre with the advanced manufacturing cluster in the north of Wolverhampton. It will stimulate wider regeneration along the corridor by acting as a catalyst for additional private sector investment in the Science Park, unlocking brownfield sites for the development of sustainable and affordable housing and improving the city's green spaces and canal-side areas. City of Wolverhampton Council leader, Councillor Stephen Simpkins, said, I am delighted the quality of the council-led submission was too good to ignore after being recognised by the government as high quality and ready to deliver. The team has worked extremely hard to get to this point and it is a scheme well supported by Jane Stevenson MP, West Midlands Mayor Andy Street and the University of Wolverhampton and I welcome the strength of this partnership. The City of Wolverhampton's vision for the Green Innovation Corridor will drive the Green Industrial Revolution, building upon Wolverhampton's sustainable construction, green credentials and circular economy for transformation that will create quality jobs for local people. We are a bold and ambitious city with a track record of delivery. The City Council, working with public and private sector partners, makes a real difference to residents and businesses. This £20 million award will help us deliver the Green Innovation Corridor, linking the city's key assets in skills, research and high-end manufacturing, building upon the strengths of the National Centre for Sustainable Construction and Wolverhampton Science Park. As world leaders discuss climate change at COP28, Dudley Council's Cabinet Member for Climate Change is encouraging residents to play their part with the use of a new app. The Geeky Zero app enables users to calculate their carbon footprint while suggesting steps they can take to help reduce it. It is free and easy to download to smartphones or tablets. Alternatively, users can have desktop accounts simply by searching for Geeky Zero. Councillor Dr. Rob Clinton, Cabinet Member for Climate Change, said, As leaders from across the globe come together for COP28, Dudley Council is continuing in its work towards being net zero council by 2030. We all have a responsibility for the future health of our planet and I would encourage all our residents to use the free Geeky app in order to explore new ways of measuring and reducing their carbon footprint. Since downloading the app myself, I have significantly reduced the amount of meat I eat and have increased the number of journeys I take by bicycle or on foot. Dudley Council recently launched its new webpage to help people in Dudley Borough understand how the council is reducing its carbon footprint. The page is part of the council's hashtag Dudley Climate Action campaign and offers useful information on the council's climate emergency commitment. It includes details of the council's vision for the future with its aspiration for the borough to be net zero by 2041. People can find the page by visiting www.dudley.gov.uk forward slash climate action. Wolverhampton pupils can travel to school and college in eco-friendly style thanks to a new electric minibus operated by City of Wolverhampton Council. The new fully electric 14-seat minibus replaces an older diesel vehicle and is part of the Council's fleet electrification programme and commitment to a greener city. The electric minibus will take children and young adults to a variety of schools and colleges, both in and out of the city. It adds to a diverse range of electric vehicles and machines that the Authority now operates. The Council has made a pledge to become carbon net zero by the end of 2028 and is currently undergoing fleet electrification to help meet this target. Under the programme, the Council has replaced a wide range of its old diesel vehicles with electric ones. These include vehicles in our Meals on Wheels service, environmental and waste services, bereavement services, mayoral, parking services and Wolverhampton homes. Others support children's services, our travel unit, parks team, arboricultural and countryside services. In total, the council has introduced 34 zero-emission vehicles and has installed 31 chargers in its depots. Fleet services are continuing to electrify the fleet with further electric vehicles expected to be delivered over the next few months. 
This includes a range of small, medium and large vans, another minibus, road sweeper and small cars. These new zero-emission vehicles will be supported by our existing network of EV chargers at council sites and new chargers being installed to support our growing green fleet. Councillor Craig Collingswood, Cabinet Member for Environment and Climate Change, said, Our new electric minibus has a longer lifespan compared to the diesel alternative and provides both maintenance and fuel cost savings. But most importantly, it's had the thumbs up from the children and young people who travel on it. Our SEND pupils and parents love the quieter environment during transport. And our drivers have also commented on how much they enjoy the smoothness of the drive. Our fleet electrification program is a key part of our work to becoming net zero by the end of 2028. And I am pleased to see that this electric minibus has been welcomed by both young people and drivers. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's flashback quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question one. In what year did Egypt first recognise Christmas as a national holiday. Question 2. Where do they have a straw your goat at Christmas? Question 3. According to Greek legend, what would clay tricks on us humans? Question four. In the Czech Republic, what would Santa give to naughty children? Question five. In early illustrations, what color was Santa's outfit? And finally, question six. What delicacy is sometimes enjoyed in South Africa? I will be back with you later in the show, but for now, best of luck. Cheers for those questions, Mina. Hmm, I'll get my mind working on them. Up now, however, is another block of local news. A youth centre in Wolverhampton is set to provide free entry and hot meals throughout the winter thanks to national lottery funding. The Way Youth Zone, a state-of-the-art facility for young people aged 8 to 18, currently has 1,900 members. Now, until the 31st of March, all young people will get free entry and a hot meal thanks to the new funding. The money comes from the National Lottery's Community Organisation's Cost of Living Fund. A recent survey of young people in the West Midlands, carried out by the youth charity Onside, revealed 67% are concerned about the cost of living crisis, with 25% of them stopping activities outside of school for this reason. Susan Barlow, Head of Fundraising at the Way Youth Zone, said, We are delighted to be able to offer this support to the young people of Wolverhampton. Last year, our amazing catering team served 10,986 free hot meals to our young people during the winter months, and we are expecting to serve even more this year. 
We know that the current cost of living crisis is putting a strain on many families and we want to ensure that young people still have access to our fun, engaging activities and support from our youth workers in a warm, safe environment. The government's community organization's cost of living fund is being delivered by the National Lottery Community Fund, the largest community funder in the UK. Grants will support charities and community organizations in England at the front line of dealing with the increase in the cost of living. A charity celebrating a year of serving people in Wolverhampton with free three-course meals every week. Food Cycle Wolverhampton sources surplus food from supermarkets, grocery shops and markets to combat food waste. They invite members of the community to Wesleyan Holiness Church on Merrydale Lane every Wednesday for a hot dinner. Food Cycle isn't a food bank. We invite people to come and sit with us around a table and enjoy a hot, nutritious meal, the charity's Lucy Self said. Around 25 people utilise the city service every week. Food Cycle has been operating nationwide for 15 years to try and tackle food poverty, food waste and loneliness. The Wolverhampton service has a bank of 55 volunteers with around 10 people working on each shift. Pamela McKenzie asked Food Cycle to visit her church, which she has attended for 30 years after hearing about it on the news. She is now project leader at the Wolverhampton base. Some people say they live by themselves, so they come for company, to talk to people. They're lonely, she said. It's about welcoming people and engaging with them. One of Food Cycle's primary goals is to try and reduce food waste by sourcing edible surplus food in a safe and responsible way. Surplus food is food which is fit for human consumption but has no commercial value for the retailer, Ms. Self said. This food, which may ultimately go to waste, may have become damaged in transit, might be past its best before date or might have been overordered. It's still perfectly good food and we put it to good use. Food Cycle only serves meat-free food due to practical and legal hurdles around obtaining and serving surplus meat and fish. This makes our meals accessible to people of all cultures and religions, Miss Self added. Now then. The next time you sneak to deplete that secret stash of goodies or rendezvous with a midnight snack, things may not be so secret after all, as the NHS is trialling artificial intelligence as a way to observe people's eating and drinking habits in a bid to reduce avoidable hospital admissions as a part of the winter preparations. The number of measures comes as the latest data shows the significant pressure the NHS is already facing as it heads into winter, with most recent data showing it has recently been the busiest months on record for A&E departments, while ambulance services experienced their busiest month so far this year. Nationally, the NHS is using AI linked to electronic sensors on kettles and fridges that spot changes in patients' eating and drinking habits. These are then flagged with a non-clinical onward care team that speaks to patients, solving 95% of their issues or escalating anything clinical. Patients can choose whether they want to benefit from these local practical measures which are helping frail patients avoid hospital readmission by offering monitoring as well as a range of other help such as cleaning, shopping and food parcels. Meanwhile, across the country, some GP practices are trialling an AI system that can highlight registered patients with complex health needs at risk of hospital admission or who rarely contact their GP and reach out to them for conversations about their health. Health coaches, nurses or GPs will then contact those at most risk to offer a range of preventative care, such as offering vulnerable patients food parcels, escalating care to specialist doctors, putting in support to avoid falls, or link them up with a local voluntary group to help avoid loneliness. 
Locally in the West Midlands, NHS teams are piloting an approach that uses an algorithm to predict the top 5% at risk of potential hospital attendances or admissions. Staff check in to offer social care assessments, medication reviews or other social prescribing measures to avoid A&E admissions. Over the next two years, the scheme is aiming to prevent 4,500 unnecessary A&E attendances, 17,000 overnight hospital stays and free up 23,000 GP appointments. NHS Chief Executive Amanda Pritchard said, This suite of tech and data solutions ahead of winter demonstrates how NHS staff across the country are innovating every step of the way, maximising the use of the latest technology and AI to help patients, but also significantly reducing the number of avoidable A&E attendances. They are identifying the most at-risk or vulnerable patients and wider issues affecting their health, so teams can get to them early and help avoid an unnecessary visit to hospital. Not only are these measures better for patients who can be cared for at home where they feel most comfortable, but they are good for the NHS too, particularly when we know that this winter is likely to be incredibly challenging. NHS staff across the country are already feeling the pressure with record demand for A&E and ambulance services. And so these new innovations being rolled out by NHS teams are an extra and welcome addition to our winter toolkit, with more call handlers and more beds already in place. Up next in this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another bake-along session written and presented by Penny Melville-Brown, who is also known as the Blind Baker. This bake-along provides both the recipe and instructions in an entertaining and encouraging manner to bring the joy of home baking to all listeners, regardless of their level of sight. So, ready or not, here it crumbs a soda bread bake along session TNF soundings features from across the UK hello I'm Penny Melville Brown the blind baker I won an international prize that allowed me to cook all over the world. I've written up all the recipes. I've made hundreds of videos. I've written a recipe book. And there's lots more about me at www.pennymelvillebrown.com. Today, I wanted to share with you the very simplest bread. It's based on one that I learned when I was in America. And this, that was a sort of Irish soda bread. But this is even easier. You have to actually put the oven on straight away because you're going to take longer to heat the oven up than it does to make the bread. And that's my idea of a perfect thing to make. One of the first things we need to do is to put the oven on straight away. You need it at 200 degrees Celsius or gas mark six. And that's where it's heating up while you're making this dead easy bread. There isn't a lot of washing up to do with this recipe either. I make it all with my hands in one large mixing bowl, and then I've got a baking tray lined with parchment paper. And again, just the tiniest hint of butter will stick that paper to the baking tray. And please try and make sure you haven't got any flappy bits that could catch fire in the oven, although it's not going to be in there that long. But just be careful. As always, I tend to weigh things straight into the bowl when they could be mixed like that. So I've got my bowl. It's on the kitchen scales and my I use talking scales so I know what's happening. So all I need is 250 grams of self-raising flour, 200 grams of plain natural yogurt and a level teaspoonful of salt. And that's it. How easy was that? So in with your hands, stir it all together. 
and you're going to mould this into a large ball of dough. And the only thing you've really got to do is make sure that you haven't got any dry bits on the bottom of the bowl, haven't got any puddles of the yogurt somewhere. Just mix it all the way through with your hands to make sure it's a nice, even textured dough. Then you're going to take that bowl of dough, slap it onto your baking sheet and get a sharp knife. And on the top of it, got this rather nice ball, going to cut a big cross in the middle. And that's going to enable all the steam to come out while it's cooking in the oven. So now your bread, your dough is on your baking sheet, into the oven, put a timer on. And it's always good to have some sort of good timer in the kitchen. I'm going to put it in for 25 minutes at this gas mark 6, 200C. And then after 20 minutes, the pinger will go, take the bread out, turn it upside down, whack it back in the oven for another five minutes. And that is your 25-minute bread. It's going to come out crisp and hot. It's going to have quite a thick crust, so you need a good knife to cut it. It's ideal to be eaten straight away on the same day. That's why it's such a quick bread. If you've got some left over, and this bread will serve mm, four people pretty easily with a nice bowl of soup for supper. Um, so if you've got some left over, though, slice it straight away, and then you can pop it in the toaster and have it for breakfast tomorrow. How's that? I hope it's a lovely loaf of bread for you. It reminds you how easy bread can be. I hope you enjoy this recipe. I hope you give it a try. If you've got ideas or suggestions for future recipes, please get in touch with me. You can always make contact through my website, www.pennymelvillebrown.com. And happy baking to all of you too. Bye-bye. TNF Soundings. Up next, let's have another block of local news. The removal of Hanson's Bridge across the Birmingham New Road at Dudley over the weekend represents the passing of a familiar landmark. But while it is known as Hanson's Bridge today, people of a certain age will probably better remember it as Don Everill's Bridge from the time when it carried advertising for the pioneering Wolverhampton-based travel business. The original bridge was built in 1849 for the South Staffordshire Railway as part of a new line from Burton-upon-Trent through Lichfield to Dudley. The Wensby-Dudley stretch of the line will now be used by the West Midlands Metro tramline with the bridge removed last weekend. The present advert for Hanson's Mildale dates back about 30 years, replacing an earlier and far more interesting advertisement for the brewery featuring a mural of a chainmaker and the slogan, No Mod Cons. Going from memory, the older Hanson's mural was painted on the bridge about 1987, replacing the familiar royal blue advert for Don Everill Transglobe. Back in the 1960s and 70s, Don Everill had the local travel industry pretty much sewn up. The company, which began when Don and his brother Cliff bought Wolverhampton's first motor coach in 1926, grew into a firm of travel agents which proliferated across the West Midlands. Shortly after the Second World War, Don Everill expanded into aviation, operating out of the wartime airfield at Pendiford. The company quickly established itself as one of the first airlines to bring overseas travel within reach of the working family. Don Everill also owned a chain of car showrooms across the region. The travel business collapsed in 1991, shortly after it had been taken over by a Pentecostal pastor and three members of his church in an ill-fated deal. But back to Hanson's. The beer brand traces its roots back to the 1870s when a young widow started brewing beer to supplement her income following the death of her husband. Julia Mantle grew up with the beer trade, her father John having owned the Saracen's Head pub in Stone Street, Dudley from 1835 to 1850. Julia married Thomas Hanson in 1846 and the following year the newlyweds set up a wine and spirit merchant's. 
Julia continued to run the business after Thomas's death in 1870 and started brewing her own beer. Hansen's Mild proved a big hit and Julia moved the brewery to Tower Street. In 1881, the brewery moved again, this time to the top of High Street, and for the next 90 years, the brewery, with its name painted in large letters across the frontage, became a well-known landmark in Dudley. Julia died in 1894, but her sons continued the business until 1943, when it was taken over by Wolverhampton and Dudley Breweries. It expanded in the 1950s, taking over Alfred Preedy's Tobacco Warehouse on the other side of High Street. In 1992, Wolverhampton and Dudley Breweries announced the closure of Hanson's Brewery in Dudley, but said it would continue producing Hanson's Mild from Park Brewery in Wolverhampton. There was talk of turning the redundant Hanson's building into a brewery museum, but the scheme never came to fruition and an Asda supermarket now stands on the site. Production of Hansen's Mild ceased in 2007, although it occasionally returns as a limited edition special. The Crooked House has been rebuilt in the grounds of Himley Hall following a fundraising event by locals, at least according to a new children's book. A new children's book takes a light-hearted look at the story of The Crooked House. Glastonbury and Bone in Big Job Broke Out is the latest edition in the Glastonbury Tales series of children's books written by Gordon Fantham and illustrated by Tim Vincent. The books, which tell of the adventures of two cats and their animal friends around the black country, are written in local dialect with a translation guide for those unfamiliar with the lingo. The fictitious tale about the Sidden House is a light-hearted reflection of the real-life drama surrounding the Crooked House pub near Dudley. The Crooked House, dubbed Britain's wonkiest pub, was controversially demolished following a severe fire in October, sparking a campaign for it to be rebuilt. In the latest book, mischievous stray cat Scope Yed Muggins watches stunt riders fly over the pub on motorbikes, and then a van, but gets carried away as he unsuccessfully attempts the feat in a bulldozer. Saddened by the loss of the building, the community rallies round and raises funds to rebuild the pub on an island in the lake of the big house. Say Corby Bustnen Moor. The book also takes a humorous look at the number of potholes in the black country. Gordon, a car mechanic from Swindon near Dudley, said the idea of jumping the pub came from a tale in the 1970s of somebody on a scrambler bike who tried to jump the railway bridge close to the Crooked House after the road had been removed. He said there was also a serious point in the moral of the tale. My idea of rebuilding the Sidon House in Himley Hall grounds would be good for both Himley and the Sidon pub as a tourist attraction, he said. An art trail to mark legendary Viking clash the Battle of Wodensfield is being planned. The project, based at Wolverhampton Art Gallery, is working on a 3-mile, 4.8-kilometre outdoor trail from Tetnall to Wensfield. The fierce clash, also known as the Battle of Tetnall, was fought in Wolverhampton in 910 AD. People are being invited to take part in a craft workshop to create exhibits for the trail. Volunteers will learn how to carve clay sculptures, write poetry and do embroidery. The battle was fought between the Anglo-Saxons and Vikings, although the exact site it took place on is unknown and has been debated by historians for many years. The Lady of the Mercians, also known as Aethelflaed, won the battle against the Vikings, but thousands of men died, among them two Danish kings and several nobles. Aethel Flaid was later chosen as her husband's successor and took control of Mercia, one of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms, now known as the Midlands. Organiser of the workshop, Rachel Arnold, hopes that the attraction will bring more visitors to the city and improve knowledge around the battle.
She said sculptures, metal figures and decorated bridges could be featured at the trail. The arts organisation Creative Black Country is funding the first stage of the workshop. Classes will take place on the first Saturday of every month at Wolverhampton Art Gallery until September 2024. Individuals can get involved by booking a space via details on the Wolverhampton Arts and Heritage website. Up next, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Take it away, Roger. Hello again, everyone. Hope you're all okay and keeping well on this run-up to Christmas. I've been reading about Christmas traditions and found some different ones from around the world, so I'll share them with you today, as they're very unusual to say the least. Now, did you know that? First time Christmas was observed as a national holiday in Egypt was in January 2003 after a decree of authorization by President Hosni Mubarak. One of Sweden's more unique Christmas traditions is a Yule goat made of straw who is believed to help guard the Christmas tree. In the Swedish city of Gavel, community has come together to build a 43 foot tall straw goat at the start of Advent every year since 1966. Unfortunately, pranksters burning the goat down has also become a tradition. In 50-odd years, the gavel goat has only lasted through the New Year dozen times. And according to Greek legend, malicious goblins would come out from their underground homes on December the 25th and would play tricks on humans until the 6th of January. You could get rid of them by burning logs or old shoes or hanging sausages or sweetmeats in the chimney. And in the Czech Republic, Santa doesn't come on Christmas but on St Nicholas Eve, which is December the 5th. He asks the kids if they've been good all year, and if they have, he gives them a basket of presents, often containing chocolate and fruit. But if they've been naughty, then all they get is a lump of coal. Early illustrations of Santa Claus pictured him as a stern commanding disciplinarian dressed in green and holding a birch rod. But the jolly old man we know and love today was created by artist Haddon Sunbloom for a Coca-Cola advert in 1931, when it's thought that he may have been paid $1,000 for each of his illustrations. And finally folks, if you don't want pigs in blankets, or if you're fed up with any of the usual Christmas fare, how about some of South Africa's unusual festive fare? Because every December, locals feast on a seasonal delicacy. The deep-fried caterpillars of emperor moths. Yum! I think I might have just heard cries of yuck at the thought of the last item. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to stick to me turkey and roasties and brussels and all the trimmings. Well, that's another conclusion that's left me feeling peckish again. So any road up, I think I'll sign off. I'll say bye for now, and I'll slope off and dunk a custard cream or two. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra! Up now we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, come rain or shine, by our own Sunny Mina. weather for this week ahead is forecast to remain much the same with plenty of showers but thankfully temperatures are forecast to feel a little more like autumn than winter. UV levels are expected to remain low. The sunrise and sunset times are 8.10am for the sunrise and 15.55 for the sunset. Friday 8th of December is forecast to be wet and breezy with spells of light rain expected throughout the day. Temperatures are expected to be around 9 degrees and will hold up well overnight at 6 degrees. Moving on and no real surprise here as the spell of rain will be joining us for the weekend too. With just a gentle breeze, temperatures will not be as bitterly cold as last week and will remain rather settled at 9 degrees on both Saturday and Sunday. On to next week, where the spells of wet weather will continue to dominate once again, with plenty of light rain and drizzle to look out for. 
It is forecast for rain to remain in the region on Monday 11th of December and continue right through to Thursday 14th of December. With a gentle breeze, temperatures should continue to hold up at around 8 degrees. The showers are forecast to be persistent throughout the week, but there's a chance of some brief sunny intervals breaking through at times. So, there we have it, yet another mixed bag of showers sprinkled with some spells of sunshine for the week. Thankfully, it won't be as cold as it has been. And as always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Now it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. Two goals within 13 first half minutes saw Wolves fall to a lacklustre 2-1 defeat at Arsenal. A defeat which now extends the old goals winless record in London to 13 Premier League matches. Through suspensions and injuries, Gary O'Neill was forced to make four changes to the team that lost at Fulham. And four soon became five as José Saar picked up an injury during Arsenal's second goal, with Dan Bentley having to step up to replace him. In what was a dominant start from the hosts, Wolves managed to recover from their disastrous opening to regain some more possession. But they looked anything but dangerous in front of goal, while Arsenal squandered chances to extend their lead. The Gunners were dangerous throughout, and Wolves were fortunate to enter the break losing just 2-0. It was a disappointing, disjointed and dreary half for the away side, and the second half did not bring about much improvement. An incredibly passive game saw neither side truly break down the other as it hit a lull after 65 minutes. The energy had been sucked out of the game as Wolves were seemingly going through the motions. But despite their side's lacklustre display and bitterly cold welcome to December, the travelling Wolves fans were in fine voice. And then, almost out of nowhere, the second half burst into life in the 86th minute as Wolves were handed a lifeline. After some hesitant defending from the home side, Nelson Semedo did well to prod the ball towards Mateus Cunha, who allowed the ball to run across his body, onto his left foot, and from the edge of the penalty box, the Wolves forward curled home a quite sumptuous finish into the top right-hand corner. Only it was 2-1 and game on. A manic end to the game saw Wolves push for an equaliser. The officials awarded six minutes of added time before several substitutions and Arsenal time-wasting tactics broke up play and dragged the game on. Wolves were unable to find an equaliser and O'Neill could be seen remonstrating with the officials after the game. I thought the referee's performance, decision-making wise, was very good, O'Neill said. There's a slight disappointment for me with the added time, not the amount that was put up, but there was a lengthy stoppage in there and they told us we'd go to 98. But after that, Arsenal took at least 45 seconds for three free kicks. So I felt they could have managed the time better for us and we could have got the allotted time. The ball was out of play for so much of that last six minutes that I felt some should have been added on. O'Neill went on to praise the players as he was generally pleased with what he saw. I wasn't disappointed with the performance as such, he added. I was pleased in general with what the lads gave. They did well. They gave absolutely everything. We gave our best and it was as good as we could give. Over at the Hawthorns, West Brom also fell to a dramatic 2-1 defeat when a stoppage time winner for championship leaders Leicester condemned Albion to just a second home defeat of the season, seconds after Josh Meyer thought he had salvaged a point. After a cagey opening to the game, Leicester upped the tempo and swarmed Albion's defence, sensing errors and hesitancy. But Albion's back line, specifically Cedric Kipre, stood tall. It took the hosts 20 minutes to get to grips with the tabletoppers, but once they did, Corberan's men were a threat. The Baggies created several big opportunities but were denied by an inspired goalkeeping display from the Foxes' Mads Hermansen. The half ended on the sour note of Matt Phillips beating the turf in distress and hobbling off clutching his hamstring after an innocuous incident as fears of the winger's injuries of years gone by returned. He was replaced by John Swift. 
Albion were bright after the interval and were unlucky not to be on level terms. Leicester was still well in the game though and working the hosts hard with some incisive counter-attacks. The contest was intriguing and on a knife edge, with both teams showing signs of finding the breakthrough. Chances were at a premium at both ends, but 18 minutes from time, one was dispatched by the league leaders. After all their attacking intent, it was a sucker punch for the hosts. And in a similar vein to the final moments for Wolves at the Emirates, things were about to become manic at the Hawthorns for West Brom too. A chaotic finale saw forward Josh Meyer strike from the bench for his first Albion goal in the 89th minute in what appeared to have earned Carlos Corberan's side a deserved and hard-working point against the championship leaders. But deep into stoppage time, heartbreak would follow. The hosts sensed a winner with momentum in their sails. Long throw after long throw came. Furlong's latest was cleared and the hosts paid the price for a last gasp stoppage time attack. The Foxes once again broke with devastating precision for England international Harry Winks to coolly slot home the winner. A shell-shocked Hawthorns emptied with memories of the 2-1 home defeat to Huddersfield in early September flooding back. Meyer's goal felt more like a winner than an equaliser, but Albion switched off in pushing for a winner and were punished. Baggies fans would have no complaints for pushing for a winner in the 94th minute, but kamikaze defending left space open and the Foxes pounced to punish and condemn the Baggies. Speaking after the game, Carlos Corberan insisted he had no regrets about the manner of Leicester City's last gasp stoppage time winner at the Hawthorns. Corberan explained he set his side up to attack the long throw in as he would in any long throw in any fixture. He admitted he would have had regrets if such a winner had gone in against him from an open play scenario. Also adding he would have regrets for not throwing centre-backs Semi Ayayi and Cedric Kipre into attack, having just netted minutes before. Now. Here come the quiz answers, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. In what year did Egypt first recognise Christmas as a national holiday? And the answer, 2003. Question 2. Where do they have a straw your goat at Christmas? And the answer, Sweden. Question 3. According to Greek legend, what would play tricks on us humans? And the answer here is goblins. Question 4. In the Czech Republic, what would Santa give to naughty children? And the answer here is a lump of coal. Question 5. In early illustrations, what colour was Santa's outfit? And the answer, it was green. And finally, question 6. What delicacy is sometimes enjoyed in South Africa? And the answer, emperor moth caterpillars did you get them all right if not not to worry as i will be back next week to test you all once again bye for now Cheers for those, Mina. Up now is another Beacon update. Well, I guess it's that time of year again where you may be thinking about next year's diaries and calendars. So good news, Beacon are now taking orders for 2024 large print diaries and calendars. The diaries range from pocket or A6 in size and go up to A4. There is even a jumbo diary with more pages offering even more room. 
They have big and bold text, making it easy to see. The 2024 calendars are also available now. The calendars are available in two orientations, Portrait A3 or Landscape A3, which is the shorter but wider of the two. If you would like a large print diary or calendar for 2024, Beacon are now taking orders. So give us a call on 01902 880 and ask to speak to a site loss advisor. That's 01902 880 to order yours now. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us. Stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!